Ready? So, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, we're so happy and delighted to come back to you live, 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 live in studio another Sunday afternoon with Real Talk with Ian and Ian. So, I'm just super, super excited. A lot of you guys that know me and know um, my journey, know how much Gregory Orlando Horton mean to me. He is more than a brother, uncle, father, everything, you know, but that's what we call good mentoring and good friendship because sometimes, you know, he could, you know, play the role. I could tell you about so much of his stories. He's a very, very good storyteller. And, um, you know, but I want to give thanks to Dr. Horton. I, I believe he's the one that gave me that name, Mr. Weeks. Uh, <laughs> so before no further word, you know, we're going to hand you over to the health and wellness specialist, Mr. Ian Thomas. Yes, yes, guys, we are here on Sunday and you know, it's the first of the program for 2021. So we just want to say Happy New Year to everyone. And many of us, as I said, would be so happy that we're able to turn into a new year given that 2020 was such a rough year for many of us we have seen some things we never witnessed before a pandemic that have affected the entire world but here we are into the new year and we are back here on ian and ian real talk we could not be more pleased to have in our company this afternoon you know an author a mentor educator olympian you know a man with a plan Mr. All right, so today, Dr. Gregory Harton. We just want to say welcome to the program. Welcome to Ian and Ian. We know you're going to rock the show, man. Inspire, that is your main name. Educate, you got to do it. You're a mentor. Mentorship, I need some of that. So welcome to the program, man. Well, thank you very much for having me. It is a pleasure. I have been watching you guys um, growing over a period of time. And, you know, it goes to show that when people put in the work, you know, with time, you can achieve the things that you set out to achieve. So I'm pretty pleased with, with what you guys have been doing. I like the content. I like the information. I like the attitude. I like the vibes. So continue doing what you're doing. Continue to touch lives because in a time like this, we do need motivation and inspiration in this world. All right, guys. You're here from um, the legend. And I'm going to go on record and say it in my books, one of the most successful 400 meters for Jamaica. And, um, you know, I'm just going to say I have the stats, you know. My pastor always said he has Biber. So I'm just saying that <laughs> I have the stats that proven that. One of the most successful 400 meter runners all the way back from um, a junior athlete um, representing Jamaica at the uh, Pan American Game and at the World Junior Championship. Um, you know, I first met Gregory in 1992, and I could tell you that uh, it was a blessing to travel with him and just to see how he has transformed his life. All you know, even though going through obstacles, he have, he was able to turn the obstacles and turn the negative into positive. So we want to find out some of the the tricks and trade. You know, because he seems. You know, well, not seems. I know for sure that uh, he has been a good inspiration and a good role model for myself and many other young athletes. So, Greg, as usual, what we like to do, we just like to give some background information of where the whole thing started. And I'm going to go ahead and say it 
you told me before that cricket was your first love. <laughs> yeah, Ian, why, why you thought the cricket, Ian? <laughs> well, I'm gonna leave the cricket for you, Ian. But... No, no. No. <laughs> All right, you ask the question, Ian. I mean, Ian. No, sir. I, I, I Ian. Let you... you ask the question. <laughs> I, I gotta let yeah. you get into it, man. I, 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 I'll hold the googly. I'll let you get into it. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to, I'm just going to say the cricket as a reference, but we're going to say, look, we want to talk about track and field. We know that um, you was a late bloomer when it come down to champs. I first heard about you in the class one days. Maybe you was running and I wasn't taking notice or I was not into the sport. So just tell us about some of the earlier days, um, what primary school you go to, and how did you end up at Excelsior High School? Well, um, I went to Exit Primary. So, for the Aggie Posse who watching this, we have a group of teachers who they made sure that when I was going to Exit Primary, that I was well taken care of from that early age. So, I was always a runner. I remember from first grade, from the age of seven, growing up in Almanton, I was always running. I was still in my daughters they had a their story about i was the person the little boy who if the teacher wanted something to get done fast they would send me here and there so i was running all over the place so it started out early from almonton days into exit primary I, I in fact i actually got into exit primary because of a connection i had a cousin who used to attend exit primary because it was a very difficult school to get into so I have been running. In fact, I was one of the fastest runners in Exit Primary from in the first grade. So running was something that I did. It came natural. And, you know, during those times, people just run. People didn't run for any major reason. We weren't thinking about no scholarships. We were just thinking about running and we were thinking about how we could help our hosts to win uh, the sports day. So I was in Greenhouse. I'm proud to say that you guys may not fully understand what that means, but I had some teachers in the greenhouse that took care of me. They made sure that I had lunch um, almost every day. So running was something that I did from an early age. And over a period of time, you start to grow into it. Teachers start to see a certain level of talent. We didn't see anything. We were just running running for the fun but when we started performing well at exit primary we actually went to the primary champs and we did great one year and because of the performance on a whole the teachers started to take a closer look at what we were capable of doing and i can tell you this um one of my coach there mr bramfield who is still there i remember he used to get us at lunchtime to get us to do some training because after school almost everybody wanted to go home so in order to get us to improve he would get us out right before lunch so we had to do the workouts before lunch because he knew that if we um as school soon as school finished that we would be out of there so it was good the good thing about it ian is i had support from that early age i had people who believed in me from that early age even though we were doing it for the fun they saw something in me that i really didn't see in myself and from going to exit primary i got a scholarship to go to excelsior high so i've been at excelsior and exed from 1980 until i graduated in 1992. 
<laughs> well, the question is why why not states? Why excelsior? Well, 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 here is the story. When I when I in, in, in sixth grade I was the all primary champion. That was 1986. And I had some friends who used to attend Camperdown. So they were encouraging me to go to Camperdown. So even though I had the scholarship to go to Excelsior. I remember going to Camperdown, sitting down all day. I talked to Mr. Mills about that every single time that I see him. And he said that was one of his biggest regrets because I went there with my trophies and my medals, hoping that he would give me the opportunity to, to represent Camperdown. And they had me sitting out there for the entire day. They kept walking past me. And it was until I went to Excelsior and started to run and I told him the story. He said, if I could beat myself, I would. Because look, you came to the school, you wanted to be a part of Camperdown, but because I didn't look as talented as some people, they ignored me. And I think coaches in Jamaica and around the world, they do that to young people. They judge the book by the cover and look at me now. <laughs> All right. All right, guys, look at me now. Three-time Olympic medalist, former NCA champion, NCA record holder, one of the most successful runners, 400 meter runners, uh, most consistent, have won medals in every major championship. And um, he is now dedicated his life to mentoring and give back, you know, just to pass the knowledge on. You know, I wish that someone would have been so kind enough to me you know, my coach, Mike Olivier, was very good at it. But, you know, sometimes it's always good to have more than one support because, you know, many of us, when we're in school, our parents um, sometimes are so busy working hard and trying to provide for us that sometimes they don't really have the opportunity to, 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 to do some of the mentoring that we need. But with that said and done, uh, Campadon, Mr. Errol Baz, Mr. Glenn Mills, um, Reveille, um, you know, you guys have um, was your loss because Excelsior, <laughs> Excelsior, did um, you know beat you guys out? And we want to give credit to Excelsior High School because they have also. Um, I would go on record, and I believe that Greg was probably one of the, the one of the the, the, the legendary athletes of the Excelsior. I know they have some cricketer and thing. I'm gonna let Ian Thomas talk about that later on. But I'm a, um, so Greg, um, I'm gonna give you one more question before um, I turn you over to the, the, the cricketer there because he, I know he wanna talk about cricket a little bit. But talk about um, going to Excelsior at an earlier age. Um, I know that um, you was based in the CFU. How, how difficult was it for you to travel <laughs> to go to school in the morning? What type of challenges did you face? Well, it was, it was difficult, but everybody faced a similar challenge in terms of taking two different buses in order to get to school. Um, the challenge wasn't there because when I went to Excelsior, like most young people, I was wasting a lot of time. I wasn't playing any sport. In fact, I was just being a little naive young boy, just walking around the place, trying to find something to do. You know, at the time, <clears throat> academics was not a priority for me then, nor was sports. And this is the sad thing because a lot of young, talented athletes, because they refuse to accept good leadership and good mentoring early, 
they end up doing what they like. And I was one of that person. But the reason why I started to take sports serious was during the 1985 when, uh, I should say, the nine, well, 89, when Natty Morgan created Havoc in Seaview Gardens. And I realized that being around in the community wasn't a good thing. So I was trying to find different ways to avoid going into the community early. So I used to stay back at school and I was looking for something to do. And I used to have flashes and nightmare based on the fact that I knew people and they were here one minute and the next minute they were not there. So I started doing things around the school, staying late and playing cricket because I wanted something to do. I was looking for a better way. That was one of the first experiences where I really wanted to achieve something. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I wanted more out of life. And I used to sit under the tree, under the plum tree in my home, just trying to figure out what can I do? And that is when the light bulb came on to say, look, I am going to try cricket because I went out four times for the track team and they just wouldn't give me that opportunity. I don't know why, but I started playing cricket just to stay at school late. And it worked because I started performing extremely um, well in terms of performance. And then that opened up doors for other opportunities to come into my life. All right, well said. As you talk about the cricket, I'm going to hand you over to Mr. Ian Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Gregory. Well, uh, I must say you have just touched on my topic. But before I get there, you know, I really want to just say I am honored, you know, just to see even your academic um, accomplishments. You know, not very much athlete you can refer to as doctor, you know, and referring to you as doctor. Gregory Horton, you know, that is a big accomplishment. But what I want to talk, you know, you're also a mentor, an mm -hmm. educator. So early in your childhood, who would have been your role model, which we know role model could similarly play along like an early mentor. Could you just mm -hmm. tell us at least two people who were influential at that tender age in your life? Well, well, people who were influential are no name type of people because I remember we had one of the guys who died in in the massacre in Pedro Garden. We call him Barlet. And he was one of them who wanted to show me a trade. Because back then, if it wasn't academics, it was a trade. So he, I used to work for him. I used to do all the woodwork stuff. Never get paid, even though we were promised paid um, to be paid. But we never get paid. But they wanted to teach us a principle in terms of working hard don't focus on the money we didn't we didn't we didn't take that concept well at the time because we wanted some money but they taught us how to put in a certain activity and to take pride in what we do also have another friend by the name of kurt gillins he was about five years older and one of the things he used to do he would he used to take us outside of the community in the summertime to give us some jobs and it helped because we did not want to be in Seaview Gardens at the time because there were a lot of violence going on there. So Kirk Gillins and Barlett were two influential people in my life. And then we started to play dominoes. And then I was on the domino team for the community. And then we started to travel out of port on, on Sundays in order to play different 
teams in different communities, Tivoli Garden, Spanish Town, and all of that thing. And they were doing these things to kind of keep us out of trouble. And while we were there with them, they used to share good nuggets with us. The good thing about it is that there was a certain level of respect and there was a certain level of humility because it shows that even though a lot of guys in the community had access to these gentlemen, they used to ignore what they had to offer. It was because I wanted more out of life. So I was seeking information from anybody who were willing to share the information with no, with no major strings attached. So Barled, one of the persons who died in that massacre, and Kirk Gillings were the two most influential persons at the time in Seaview Garden because they made sure that we didn't get caught up in some of the violence and the activities that were going on. So for that, I oftentimes think about them and appreciate what they have done for me during the stages of my development. All right, thank you for that. And in that sense, I also want to throw another question to you, Dr. Harton. And this have to do with mommy. Because they say behind every good man, a great man, a champion, you know, there is a great woman. And whether that be a wife, a girlfriend, or a mother. And sometimes mm -hmm. for some of us, it's just that we happen to find somebody along the way. But yeah. could you just share with us a little bit about your mother and the role that she would have played at that tender age? Well, my mother was a very special woman to me because, you know, the principles that she taught me were principles that is that all the time she would sit and say, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. One of the things I got from my mother was the ability to work hard and the ability to take pride in, in my work because she used to work from sunup to sunset and she never complained. Well, she complained sometimes, but she would go out there the next day and she kept on doing it. So that was one of the main attributes that I got from my mother. The fact that don't complain, just keep on working. Ian, had a little experience with my mother because she was a very understanding person, very caring person, and she could cook. So, so she kept me humble in terms of how she used to cook and the things that she used to do and the sacrifices that she used to make for us. And I think I got those things from her. I am the type of parent now where my kids are first in my life. Um, I instill discipline because she instilled a certain level of discipline in me. I am able to sit and rationalize things. I'm very objective when it comes to what is right and what is wrong. So without my mother in my life, especially in my early years, I don't know who I would have become because I've seen and the opportunity presented itself to me on numerous occasions where I could, could go and, got, and get myself involved in violence in the city. But she made sure that whatever I needed at the time in order to stay focused, that it was there. Now, even though you have a good, solid foundation in terms of a mother, I can tell you that a lot of the areas that I was weak in was the fact that I did not have a father figure who took me under his wings and teach me some of these things to be a man. And today we find that a lot of the young men today, one of the reasons why they are failing in life because they don't have that male figure the dominant role that can teach them how to be a man. And this is why mentoring means a lot to me because I think that if we can catch some of these young athletes and young people from that early age, we can change the trajectory of the world where we're going in now. 
So I am passionate about helping people. I'm passionate about sharing my experience with helping others to see that there is more to life than to settle for less. Because when you settle for less in life, you can get disappointed. All right, Dr. Hart, I know we are, we, we, we're onto something here, but um, quickly, I, I just have to throw this question and I'm not even going to get to cr- cricket because I know, you know, coming from the inner city that you have mentioned, you know, I know that people are listening and uh, as you mentioned, mentoring is very important and we are here to inspire, educate and uplift somebody. So I want to know how difficult it was for you to stay out of trouble, you know, growing up in those type of community. It was very difficult you know, because when you talk about peer pressure, you know, I remember there were days when I had to fight almost every day because people would influence you or try to influence you to do a certain thing. I remember even when cocaine was, or the crack cocaine was, was, was getting introduced to the community, a couple of my friends took it on and some of them not here today, some of them got murdered. Some of them are in jail. So, you know, it was tough because you would get what they call the mountain where people would be on your case every single day. And I think that is one of the reasons today I am the type of person where I don't care what people say. You know, I am willing to follow good leadership. I'm not going to do something because somebody else suggests it. I have to make sure that it is right for me. I have to make sure that it can benefit me in a positive way. So I took the mountain, Jamaican call it that way. Um, I took the disrespect um, because I knew that what I saw in Seaview Garden, is, it wasn't something that I, I wanted to achieve based on what these other guys were doing. So I tried my very best. I can tell you stories about yielding to the temptation and you know get getting caught up with some bad activities you know but the thing about it is that while you were doing some of these activities it didn't feel like it was me i didn't feel like this is something that i would welcome and it would play on my mind and my conscience over and over and over so to prevent that i used to stay in house i used to listen to the radio almost every day I would just try to find things that would keep me out of the company of the influencer, those older boys who used to force you to get yourself into trouble, locking the guns, smoking the weed, taking the cocaine. Believe me, I was exposed to all of that and more. Okay, Dr. Harton, uh, I, 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 I go back. We refer to you now as a mentor. We know that you have taken up a different uh, career path also being mentorship. So the fact that we're right here, mm-hmm. I want to see, you know, as much as you say you're a mentor, this is the opportunity to mentor those kids from Seaview Garden, Almantown, inner city era. Your message to those kids right now as a mentor. Well, this is why I say to you that it is important for young people to have a male figure in their lives. Because without a male figure in your life, you lack discipline, you lack dedication, you lack commitment. So I can tell you, Ian, that I am not a magician. One of the things I've been doing in Jamaica, and because of COVID, I'm not able to do it um, for now, 
but I used to travel around the island and then I used to visit schools and I used to try to sit with some of these young men and young women and I used to have discussion with them to see exactly what is going on in their minds. And one of the things I found is that a lot of these young people, they are trying to, to achieve something they just don't know how, but they don't have the discipline to listen. So I can talk and I can talk and I can talk and sometimes they won't listen. But the thing about mentoring in order for it to be effective, that people must be able to trust you. And this is why I try to make sure that my record is squeaky clean because one of the things that can help a mentor to be effective is that he or she must have the lived experience, which means that when I sit with a young man or a young woman and I say something to them, it's not a theory, it's not something that I pull out of a hat. It is something that I experience on my own. And I tell these young people that if I could turn back the hands of time, there's a lot of things I would have done different in my time. But what experience has taught me is that I can turn back the hands of time. So what I do moving forward is to make sure that I carefully analyze everything that I do because I don't want to make mistakes. I can tell young people that if you trust me, give me a chance to be that leader and role model in your life and I won't let you down. And I can promise you this, that if you set out to achieve something and you're willing to put in the work, I promise you that you will get 100% of the result because I know what it takes to be successful. I've done it in every era of my life. I've done it in track and field. I've done it in academics. I've done it as a parent. I've done it as an entrepreneur. I've done it as an author. So when I give information to young people or people in general, I am right on the money. But if you don't trust me, if you don't trust what I'm saying, then you may not want to follow my lead. So the next thing I would say then is, look at my history. Look at what I have done over the years. Look how consistent I have been in terms of setting goals and achieving goals. I also want to say that success has a formula. It is just that some people don't have the formula to achieve what they set out to achieve. But here is the beautiful thing that I can share with you. I am willing to share my team. I am willing to share my expertise, my group of people, my private consultants with those who want to achieve their highest potential. There's only one prerequisite that you must have. You must have a true intent to follow through with what you say that you're going to do. If you're willing to do that, I promise you that I will take the next step into your future that can be so bright. Wow, wow, well said. With that, you know, Dr. Hartner, I just want to say thank you. Turn it over to Ian there. You know, he had to take a sip of water here. <laughs> All right, well, I'm sure Doc up his water too. So, um, you know, yeah, but yeah, we're gonna, um, I'm gonna switch back over um, a little bit over to the track and field. So, you know, we, we can, um, you know, we can make sure that all the viewers, you know, some of the viewers might know you and some might not know you. So we're going to make sure that we, we cover it. So let's talk about your, your glorious days. We're going to talk about the high school days um, um, and move along. Obviously, you have you have um, become the Jamaica National Boys Champion in 1992 and you have beat 
the 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 favorite going into the event which um well i don't know who was the favorite but i'm gonna go ahead and say going into the 1990-92 season at a young age you know what was you what you have done differently to prepare for that 400 meter that you believe have helped you to to become um victorious you know <laughs> you know ian you're asking some questions that all my time a lot of these journalists never seem to ask good questions because right, thank you. They, 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 they don't realize that the difference between those who get it done and those who don't get it done it's all about the thinking how you think about some things like everybody else we are nervous even the favorites are nervous about the activity but i realized that in life that one of my gifts was my level of focus i was able to focus on what i was able to do or what i said that i would do and i would block out all distractions to make sure that whatever i said that i would do that i would get it done so like everybody else the temptations were there ian but the key is what i said earlier that success has a formula the formula for me was to stick to my race strategy and it was a talent for me because i understood pace i understood myself i understood the 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 the, 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 the competitors and i knew that in order for me to be victorious i would have to stick with my race plan so i ran that race over and over and over and over in my mind days before weeks before on that day i knew exactly what i was going to do and the beauty of it is you know when you talk about achieving your highest potential it, it really wasn't even about winning at the time it was about conquering myself and conquering my fear and conquering the moment because what i was able to do in that moment ian was to stick to the race plan and if you look at the race in 1992 the strategy was perfect i did enough to cover enough grounds i did enough to take it home i did enough to hold on and i was pretty much pleased with the fact that even though people did not believe in me i believed in myself then i stuck with the plan of action and it caused me to win my first and only boys championship medal <laughs> all right guys you hear it from the doctor the olympian and the legend you know um legendary 400 meter runner so tell tell me now greg um I should have asked you this question before, but tell us how did you start running the 400? Why not the 1500? Well, <laughs> when I went to Excelsior, Excel yeah. Primary, I yeah. used to run the 100 and the 200 because it was an easy race. I liked it. When I went to Excelsior High School and I started running again, I wanted I was running the 100 and the 200. So how I actually got into the 400, we had a gentleman by the name of Michael Cowan, and he was supposed to run the 124 at Boas Champs. And for some reason, they took him out of the 400, and, and they just threw me in the 400 with no practice, no preparation. And I remember, <laughs> after I ran that 400 that day, the coach was surprised because he did not expect me to perform the way I did. And after that race, I became a 400 meter runner, even though I tried to avoid it all my life. Because even though I knew I had the talent to run four and eight, I just did not want to do it. 
But in my latter years in Excelsior, I was only running the mile relay and I started running the first leg and I was doing, I was blowing out the field running the first leg. And we had a coach by the name of Bingy Price who said, over his dead body, I am running the 400 whether I like it or not. So it was something that I sat down and planned and said, you know what, I'm going to run the 400 meter. I was good at it. This is what I wanted to do. I was forced into running the 400. But because I knew that I was talented in that era too, I didn't fight it, you know, because at the end of the day, I wanted success. And if running the 400 would get me to dominate the event, because the 100 meter and the 200 meter was packed with people like um, Rudolph Mighty, Donovan Powell, and so on. So if it made sense at the time, and this is why I said, you know what, let me try it. And after trying it, I started beating people. I realized that it was my event. I realized that it gave me an advantage because of my height and because of my speed. So it would be silly for me to fight against or kick against the prick. I just decided that, you know what, it's a tough event, but I'm going to do it because I wanted more out of life. All right, well said. And we, we want to give a kick shout out to Keisha David, Doreen Dixon, uh, Troy Fraser, Chris McCoy, Andrew Scott, and uh, Henry Clark. Michael McDonald, you thank you guys for joining and many others. You know, we should give the rest a shout out. So just moving along, um, in terms of uh the 400, you know, you have never tried a four hurdler. We know you wrote a book about um the four herders. We gotta talk about that later <laughs> on. <laughs> you know, but we know that um, you know, but the question that I want to ask is what advice would you have to would you have for young athletes now? in terms of deciding what event they should choose and how they should go about it what type of advice can you share with some of the the, the, the young runners uh, what well, would you say to them well before before i say that i want to say shout out shout, shout out to keisha david because keisha is one of my biggest fans keisha believed in me she don't like when i use the word fan because we are friends <laughs> but she believed in me even before i believed in myself i was just there she was telling me all the good things about the things that I could do. And I used to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But over time, I started to believe it. So it goes to show that when you have good support and people who believe in you, that you can achieve great things. Now, we have a, a lot of issues now going on with picking the right event for young people. Like say, for example, when board was doing great, you find that the event and the popularity and the fame attracted a lot of athletes to move from something that they would have been great at the 400 meter and they started to run 100 and 200 meter because they were chasing the fame when i picked the 400 meter i wasn't trying to chase fame i was trying to find my fit i was trying to find something that was good for me and i think young people today need to have good mentors people who they trust that can get them to to do what is in their best interest. It's not about the money, it's not about the fame, it's about what you're good at. And if you're able to make the decision, the logical decisions, because they're making emotional decisions, if they can make the logical decision as to why they need to run a particular event, then it is possible that they can put more their heart and their soul in running those or that event. So. But you see, Ian, it starts with good advice and it starts with good counsel. 
we find that a lot of these people who are representing these young athletes, they are in it for themselves. They're not in it because they feel it's the right thing for the athlete. They're in it because they see a way where they can make some money. And then the athletes are not smart enough or strong enough mentally to say, look, this is my future. I have a say in my future. You can't want this more for me than I want for myself because what I am doing now would benefit me. It benefited my family. It benefited my friends. And now I can say that it is benefiting the world. So coaches and people who are managing and managing some of these athletes, they need to put the athlete's best interest first. They need to sit with the athlete and explain why they need to choose an event, why it is best to stay away from some event, the pros and the cons, and they just need to follow in that direction based on what they think is best for them. All right, we're going to move along real fast. So in terms of your um, high school, um, you know, we're going to switch a little bit just to your days at Excelsior. Just want to give you the opportunity to shout out a couple of the teachers that who have helped you and spend the extra time with you. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> my pleasure to do, my pleasure. Uh, people like Mr. Uh, Mr. Kettle, Mr. Kettle is in Canada now. I remember he was one of those persons who, when I was going to the boys' championship in 1992, I had a lot of doubt. And I remember I came off the bus and I saw him and he was telling me, hey, a lot of these people here, especially some of these teachers, they don't believe in you, but I believe in you. You can do it. And that made a world of difference because when I finished talking to him, I felt like I really could do it. Teachers like Miss Remicki, um, Mr. Bramfield, the current principal at Excelsior, my coach, Mr. White, because he was also a teacher, my good friend, Marlon Tucker, because we spent a lot of time within and outside of the system talking about that. Um, uh, Mr. Griffiths, oh man, Mr. Griffiths was one of the, 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 uh, the soccer coach. He coached the coach team and he too was an inspiration because some of the things that he used to share with me you know, these are things that fathers usually share with their son. Mr. Smith from the primary school, Mr. Grant from the primary school, all of them came together. Mrs. Sterling, um, Mrs. Stewart, who is no longer here with us, but her family. Uh, these are people who believe in me. Miss Jenkins, who is not no longer here too. Uh, these are people who believe in me. And when people believe in you so much, you start believing in yourself with time. All right, excellent. So guys, you heard it. Um, some of these early peop, um, adults and teachers that come across Gregory have helped him to develop a mind of a champion from early on in his career. And um, you know, I'm so happy that um, you know we have get the opportunity just to recognize some of those uh, people. So let's let's move back to champs now. Um, what's your take yourself out of it? What's your biggest memory at the boys' championship? What race? <laughs> What race um, can you remember and just, you know, stuck out in your mind or, you know, any particular well, uh, thing? Well, my, my biggest my biggest memory is the, the, the matchup between the Carl McPherson, the Edward Clark. Um, we had Gally Moore in the race, you know. Uh, in fact, I, we had two color bar guys which was lions I, I um i can't remember his first name but lion was his last name we had gallimore in the race um we had we had two jc person which is edward clark and carl mcpherson in fact we had two kc 
people in the race. We don't. I don't know who they were because they were not big name at this at the time. And I was the only little, you know, green and yellow guy. And I, you know, I remember when I was looking through the, the 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 champs, the prediction that they didn't have me being the winner. And I was saying to myself, these guys must be crazy, you know. But what people didn't know prior to this that the 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 Pan American Championship, the Junior Pan American Championship, the year before that I won that race and I beat Carl McPherson. So it it was actually the first time yeah. I I was victorious over him. So yeah. because he was the defending champion for boys champs, it was a very good matchup. So I know a lot of people thought that he was going to repeat the victory and that Edward Clark would also finish second and maybe I would run somewhere down the track. But what they did not know, Ian, that I had that mind of a champion from an early age. I had a desire to want to annihilate all these guys because I felt like in order for me to get to the top, I would have to beat these guys and beat them convincingly. So that race was was the race and it's one of the most talk about 400 meter race because it was exciting you know they were confident i was confident i ran that perfect race at the end carl mcpherson started coming on at the end but he ran out of meters so again that was my only victory because i wasn't in the class one for a long period of time so that race means a lot and one of the reasons why it means a lot to me because I was able to conquer self. You know, that was one of the few times with the pressure situation that I was able to stick to a plan and then get the victory. That was sweet. All right, all right, <laughs> champion. So now, I'm, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but I got to move real fast because I got so several things I want to talk about and I know that um, we can't be here all night, but what's the best advice that you have got from your high school coach that you can remember? Well, um, th this one is very important, and I hope your listeners would would, would, would would listen to this one because I, I, I talk about it a lot of times and I don't think people understand. During that time, I was looking for a way out. And I remember we were idling and sitting under the plum tree, just wasting time, and that same gentleman by the name of Mr. Griffiths came about and he was picking our brain with some questions because he was wondering why are you guys wasting time right here so he asked some simple question he said look any of you guys rich and we said no he said look here you have any rich family members that is going to give you any money anytime soon and we said no and he said where are you guys from i tell him see your garden my friend told him backbush one person tell him Brayton. And the man said, look here, guys, let me tell you guys something. In life, there are three ways that you can become rich, right? You can either inherit it, which means that you have a rich uncle that may leave some wealth for you. Um, you may bond with it because you have rich family members or you have to work for it. So he said, I want you to think about the category that you find yourself in. You have an inheritance? No. Your parents rich? No. That means you fall in the category of working hard and that was one of the few moments when the light bulb went off in my mind i was saying wow it means that i really have to work hard for this and most of the people that we are trying to reach today ian they have no rich 
uncle giving them anything. They weren't born with a gold spoon in their mouth. So it means that they are under the similar category that I found myself in where I had to work in order to achieve what I set out to achieve. Now, the difference between working hard and working smart is that some people work without a reason, while some people work with a purpose in mind. And my philosophy is, if you have the right or do the right activities, you will reach your goal in time. The key to life is to find out what the right activities are. And then you do a lot of those activities. And that is one of the things I did when I was at Excelsior. I realized that I had to train hard. I realized that I had to be committed. I realized I had to stay away from influence, negative influence, so to speak. I also realized that I had to stay away from negative people. I was good at it because I realized that my success depended on me sticking to these principles, holding these principles close to my chest and work hard in order to achieve it. Now, I can tell you this, I work hard then and I'm still working hard now because I read in a book that work is good for the person that does it. And I have been working ever since and I will never stop. All right, awesome. I'm gonna get a bonus question and I'll turn you over to Ian. I wanna close this high school section, but what I wanna transition into, you actually done something that not many people have done. You have actually leave Jamaica at a young age um, than most people. You have taken up a scholarship at the age of 18. Um, and you could have come back to, you could have actually stayed in, in Excelsior, stay back in Jamaica and run another year in uh, at the boys championship now how difficult was that decision for you and how did you come up with that decision that you know what i'm ready to took my scholarship and move on very good question ian because you know people see people succeed in life and they don't realize that it is a series of good decisions over a period of time that that made that person successful the same thing with me i had good advisors i had people who would give me good advice but at the end of the day the, the decision was up to me i had to decide what was best for me you can give me the advice either. but when i think about what is best for me i will get outside consultation just to make sure and i've been using that strategy ever since so when I won the boys championship, there was nothing left for me to prove to anybody because my goal was to come to the United States, get an education, improve my athletic ability, get a job at the time, and then take care of my family. That was my purpose. So once I won the boys championship, there was no convincing me that I needed to win it twice because it didn't mean that much to me then. What was important to me was how would I develop after getting one accolade that was worthwhile. And the thing was, you had to go and you had to start your life and you have to learn along the way, which it worked wonders for me. And this is why I am encouraging even the young people in Jamaica to say, look, you should be a part of the decision making. You cannot have people telling you what is best for you without explaining things to you in layman's term where it makes sense. 
And one of the things you find too is that some of these influencers, they are cutting out the parents or they are bribing the parents in order to keep these young developing athletes there, even though these athletes deserve a better break, a better opportunity at life. This is why I am encouraging young athletes that you must study. You must have good counsel. You must have your own counsel. People that you trust that you can go to and get good, solid information that can help you. So that's what I did, Ian. I had people in my corner that gave me good advice and I knew what was good for me. And because of that, I made the final decision. It wasn't up to them. It was my life. It was my future. It was my family living in poverty. It was my duty to get them out of poverty. Not the coach, not the manager, not the principal of the school. It was my job. And this is how I would like young people to see it. All right. Awesome, guys. And I'm going to say this for the viewers. I want the viewers to think about this here. I'm going to go over to Ian, but you guys could talk about this in the chat. Now, I want you guys to uh, tell me, Gregory left in 92. He have improved in 90. He left in 92. So 93, he have made a huge improvement. So I want you guys to tell me um, what was the, 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 the how, how much did he improve on his time? Um, from 92 to 93. Um, and you guys could free the chat about that in the thing. Over to you, Ian. Well, Dr. Harton, just want to say thanks, man. I'm listening to you there and I'm inspired already. And in the chat, we see where, you know, your friend there would have said, awesome, inspiring show. Well done, host and co-host. So I just want to let the fan know, this is the reason we bring on people like you, you know, to inspire, educate, motivate. So now I'm going to go to some educational question and I'm going to take you right back to the 1992 champs, right? Yeah. And this question for you is, you talk so much about that race based on who was in the race. You were the underdog, basically. Nobody rated you to win it, even though you had beaten the person, you know, previously. But I guess you're still underrated. But what I want to know from you is... How do you handle the pressure or nervousness going into such a big race? When you look around you, it's like everybody's expected to beat you. So could you tell people, how do you handle that kind of situation, nervousness? <laughs> hey, you guys are asking some great questions tonight. And I am hope the young athletes would, would listen to this because I really don't get a lot of chance to deal with this. In fact... I'm not trying to promote anything, but I have a, I have a, a program that, that is about how do you deal with fear? Because young athletes, one of the reasons they are not able to perform at their best is because they are afraid and they allow the symptoms of fear to get overwhelming and it affects their ability to think. Now, I have several techniques that I use. I won't talk about those techniques now, but those techniques help me to focus on what I need to do in the moment. I don't think about the ending of the race. I don't think about the middle of the race. I stay in the now. So I was able to, to handle the fear and know that these things were symptoms 
And if I was able to pull through, do what I was supposed to do, then I would come out victorious or I would perform at my highest potential. If you know, if you look at the history, the World Championship, the Olympic Games, the Pan American Games, it is the same feeling because as you go higher up, you start to experience these symptoms. Your legs, Ian can tell you, your legs feel weak, you feel tired, but you have to stay focused. And there are some small things that you can say and do to yourself that can help you to stay in the now. So I talk to myself all the time. I reason with myself all the time. But the key to it is that you must have a plan. You can't go out there and make up the plan as you go along. And this is what a lot of people do in their own personal life. They don't have a plan. And they think that when they get there, the plan is just gonna come. I had a plan from beginning. I vetted the plan. I meditated on the plan. I sleep on the plan. I dream the plan. Because remember, when I get out there, my confidence is gonna come from the plan of action that I have. And because I was able to stick to the plan of action, I was able to become victorious. Now, even though I was nervous, even though I felt weak, I knew that others around me felt the same way. So one of the things I had to do, I had to work through the feeling because it's just a feeling. If I was able to run and execute my strategy, even though I felt tired, I felt weak. Let me give you a real life example. I went to Japan one day, one year, and the, I, I felt so jet lag. I felt so tired. I felt so nervous. And one of the things my coach would say to me, he said, stick to the plan no matter what. The race plan is your survival. It is the strategy. Regardless of how I was feeling, I stuck to the plan. I ran the race how I was supposed to do it. And even when I was going through the phases, I didn't feel it, but the results speak for itself because I was able to win the race, run a very fast time because I did not submit to the fear or the symptoms of fear. So for those athletes who want to learn how to overcome fear, that is one of my best piece of work because it will give you basic strategies, some of the strategies that I use in order to cope with some of the symptoms of fear. All right. So my next question is basically going to walk the same path. Simple mean, you know, there are athletes out there, they're going to be listening. If they're not on now, they're listening later. I know people will share this. So the next question is, and, and I work in the health industry, just to let that known. But this one being shoved under the rug. Mental <laughs> preparation. Simple mean a lot of athletes basically have mental breakdown. And not just athletes, just right around, even though that what we are going through. People undergo a mental breakdown that you could never believe it. That you know, that's a person you knew a month ago or two months ago. But it's something that being shoved under the rug, as I say. Yeah. Um, so how do you prepare yourself mentally? And I'm happy that we have you on here. I think probably you'll be the best person to answer this question, the fact that you are a doctor. And we just want to also welcome Dr. Um, Cecile Wright, you know, Vice President of the States Alumni Group. We just want to say welcome Dr. Cecile. Also do mentoring himself. And, you know, we, we are proud to have him a few, I'll say a week to months back, you know, 
it was very educational also so dr harton could you just deal with that issue in terms of mental preparation for a race or a big day big event whatever everything that you do it starts in the mind your belief system starts in the mind you see things you buy into it it might not even be accurate one of the things i was able to do i had and still do have an objective mind one of the reason why i was confident is because i had good solid information to rely on mental training means that you prepare your mind to deal with different things that will come at you and these are things that it, it, it takes time so my mind was strong from beginning but the thing about it is what i said before that mm -hmm. i made sure that the information that i garner for myself were good solid information it wasn't just about entertainment it is about how i could condition my mind by taking out things that were not real things that are not accurate like say for example fear it's a concept it's an idea losing it's an idea you believe in losing then you will lose i also took out um uh, a lot of these negative like expectations when i go into a race my expectation is to perform at my best my expectation is to pro to run the race according and i condition myself from day one which means that everything that i do in practice is preparing me to have that level of mind control so mental training is about conditioning your mind through a series of repetitious practices where i would say that when i'm sitting meditating running my race taking out fear from my mind let me give you a perfect example when we used to perform at boys champs people like carl mcpherson and rudolph mighty they would walk next to you and make some loud sound <laughs> and a lot of the young guys the inexperienced guys would be afraid and that would take them out of their game i was prepared to deal with that because i knew it was a it was something that they wanted me to believe in a concept that would cause me not to stick to my race plan so my confidence as i said it comes from making sure that my mind is conditioned making sure that i can block out these negative thoughts and negative ideas and negative beliefs and focus on only the positive things what i need to do in the moment i'm not thinking about tomorrow i'm not thinking about the race the medal i am thinking about now so one of the things we do when we're conditioning somebody's mind is this that we teach them how to be before they do because when you be first it means that your mind is conditioned to think like a champion you are a champion before you win your first race i knew that from beginning but the first thing is that i would have to do the things that champions do in order to be a champion so i had to think like a champion ian can tell you the things that the average person would do i wouldn't do it because i realized it's the things that i didn't know that would make me into a champion so it was up to me to find the things that i didn't know and learn them and be good at them and when i learned these things i started to believe more in myself i started to know that failure is just a concept and it it is only real to you if you believe it so all of my time when it came closer to a race is to focus on the positive 
focus on me. I'm not going to focus on the competition. I'm not going to focus on the starter. I am going to focus on making sure that my mind is clear from distraction and I'm in the now and I knew that I was a champion and I knew that if I execute what was in my mind, no one would beat me that day. All right. Great, 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 great. All right. Now, so this is the next question right here. And, and, and I hope some youngsters will be listening in for this one. All right. You, you mentioned cricket earlier. I didn't touch that at all because it wasn't fitting. Mm-hmm. But now I want to tie it in right here. How were you able to balance, you know, athletics, cricket, and still be able to do your book work? Because we look where you are now, Dr. Gregory Harton. Could you tell us how were you able to balance all of that and how important it is to take the education serious? <laughs> look, man. You have people who are walking on wires and they're able to balance because they believe in what they're doing. Now I'm telling your listeners and I'm telling my fans that in order to achieve anything you set out to achieve, you must have a purpose, but you must also have a plan. You see, my purpose was so big that I knew I had to do all three. My purpose was so big. What was my purpose? My purpose in the moment was to take my family out of poverty. So my the, the thing that was driving me was different. So even if I had to do another sport or I had to take another nine to five, I would do it because I was willing to pay the price. Now, your audience need to understand that one of the reasons they're not able to achieve their goals because they're doing multiple things and they're not looking at best practices. How can I still be efficient? Everything that I do, I look for the most efficient and the most effective way to get it done. So I can do multiple tasks because I am very efficient. But it's not just the efficiency. It was the drive. Why I was doing this. So when I hit upon obstacles in my life, I was able to persevere because I knew and expected obstacles to be a part of the process. Some people, they continue to fail because when they hit up on this obstacle or these obstacles, they give up, they give up, they give in. They change strategy altogether. That wasn't me. I would stick to the plan. I would stay focused. When it was downtime because I hit an obstacle, I would go in my downtime and I would regroup, figure out what I needed to do in order to, to get going again. And then I would get going again. And I would keep on going. That is what life is about. It's not about having it your way. It's about being prepared to deal with anything that life throws at you. Because there is always a solution to a problem. But maybe you don't have the experience or the knowledge to find the solution. And this is where a mentor comes in. And this is where a solid base and support system comes in. Because sometimes they can see things that you are not able to see. You're muted, Ian. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I just want to say thanks, um, Dr. Harton. Um, great advice. I'll just turn you back over to Ian. And I know our audience been inspired, already educated. And at the end of this night, everybody will be motivated to go and get it done, man. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I want to tell you, you know, that, you know, on the 23rd of this month, I will be doing a webinar 
and it is a webinar that will change lives you know i think i think 2021 is a time where people don't need to settle for less i think now is a time for you to be inspired and be more willing to find the formula for success because there is a formula we are using somebody else's idea and way of thinking and it is not getting us anywhere if you're serious about change the webinar is free i am going to give you everything that you need in order to be a, to, to achieve your full potential i'm not going to force you but i would suggest that this is something that you need to be a part of because i'm not holding back it's free all you have to do is just subscribe all right, send, all right. Send, some, send, some, send something over to Ian and a flash he could put something out there so just send it over all right you back to you sure. Ian. yeah well we definitely will be um sharing information about the webinar um i'm not sure how many people are able to to be on the webinar or if it's open or if we got uh, a limit but um I'm, we'll get all the information before the show ends tonight but greg um, I've said this question before. Uh, I didn't get an answer, but uh, I know that you know where I'm coming from with this question. Now, for every all of the young athletes or anybody might be watching, you know, um, and with this champion mindset that you have, you have transitioned over uh, into the junior college section from Jamaica. Now, first and foremost, I want to ask you about why central arizona at the time obviously um you know for the viewers some of the viewers don't, that don't know or don't know much about you the path that you take because everybody take a different path tell us the reason why you have to take that path going to central arizona all right so i want the audience to understand that when you really put enough in planning it increases your chance to achieve anything you set out to achieve. So I didn't just pick a school randomly just for the fun. Sat down, we thought about it and tried to figure out what was best for me. Now, when I look at Central Arizona, one of the reasons I decided to go there, because when I looked at some of our best 400 meter runners who were able to perform well at the collegiate level and also at the international level, the Olympic level. They went to Central Arizona. People like Patrick O'Connor, um, Barrington Campbell. Um, so we, we had a good, solid track record to show because I wasn't going to put my future in the hands of a novice. The coach had the lived experience to take me from point A to point B. The second reason too, that I, I failed in academics at high school because I was wasting time. So I didn't have those five subjects and such score in order to get into a university. So the backup plan was Central Arizona. And I, I thought that because it was a community college, the classes wouldn't be overwhelming. I would still have good athletic competition, but not at the highest level because my body was still young and I wanted time to mature before I started to put wear and tear on my body. So it was made because of those, those two main decisions. One, academically, it would have helped me to 
get a solid foundation academically to move on to a four-year university. And also, I needed um, time to properly develop mentally and physically, and also because of the track record that Central Arizona had. Now, it was good for me because it worked beautifully. I ran my father four seconds. I won the, the junior college championship. I had good grades. I started feeling confident in terms of doing schoolwork. So when I made the transition over to George Mason, I was ready for the big league. I was ready to do damage, both academically and athletically. And it shows because within the first six months, I broke the NCAA indoor record. I started getting 3.0 GPA, which shows that whatever plan of action that we had in place, it proved to work and this is why i encourage young people to plan don't just do because somebody tells you to do it you must put in place a solid plan that can get you to achieve what is right for you all right well said guys you heard it and i'm just going to give you let you know that gregory has you know for a first year student a freshman in the united states have improved almost two full second all the way from 46 six to 44 seven that's almost two second 46 and, 88 okay all right 46 88 to 40 44 78 yeah all right in one year and i'm gonna also let you know tell us some of the challenges that you face and your transition from the Jamaica high school to college because everybody might think that you don't you did not face any obstacle you have everything a bread and butter <laughs> <laughs> yeah I remember the first one of the first workout that I had at Central Arizona yeah. I think the coach thought that they slipped him a bad apple because I couldn't manage the workout you know my body wasn't fully developed and while I was doing the workout I, I was on the ground rolling the pain I never experienced workout like that before. And it, it seemed like it was a simple workout for him. So it goes to show that in time, you need to, to, to not just do the right thing, but you need to plan in order to do the right thing. And you need time to grow. When we got to Central Arizona, they told us that we would get pocket change if we get some work on campus. It wasn't like that. We had to work in order to pay for room and board. And one of the jobs that I did was to take care of the, the bathroom, the restrooms. I had to vacuum the place. We had to cut lawns. We had to do almost everything. And I felt like this wasn't fair. I was a potential superstar and I'm at Central Arizona cutting grass, cleaning toilets and doing all of those things. I remember I used to save the, 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 the meal money in order to buy some supplements because when we worked, the money was handed over to the administration. We could not get a penny from the money. So things weren't easy. Now, while some of the other athletes complained, I knew that I, it was in my best interest to stick with it. I felt like if I could pay off my room early, I could make some more money. So I tried to find different jobs and I tried to put in different hours because at the end of the semester, when some people had a balance, I had a surplus and I was able to use the surplus to finance things because when I went back to Jamaica, 
in the summertime i had a few chains that i could buy some rice and some flour and stuff like that to take home what i'm saying here is that nothing in life that's worth having comes easy you have to work for everything and if you put in the right work which i did at the time i was able to reap a lot of success so instead of sitting and complaining like some of the other guys i just put in work i didn't care what anybody said i felt like if i did the right thing with time i would achieve my goal and i did man guys so that this is a, always a very challenging topic to talk about because the transition from um into a new country so greg based on your experience and what you have um, been through do you think there's anything could be done for young athletes that traveling to um a new country going to a new university anything that could be done to help them to get to know what they're getting into and what what are some of the expectations well you see ian it, it, humility is something that i think they need to teach in school yeah they need to teach it in the workplace they need to teach it in the home i've oftentimes say that the home and the school should be a practice ground where whatever you need to survive in this world it must be taught in school are in the home confidence usually come from knowing when you know something you can take it on with ease but when you're in a situation where you don't know you don't know what to expect you don't know who to turn to how can you be successful in situations like that now i can tell you ian that sometimes you're in an environment and we don't learn nothing we don't take notes we don't try to find information from people who have been in the system you come into a new country you must can find somebody that can give you some insights as to what to expect when you get here you see the people who plan ahead of time are those individuals who will often times achieve their highest potential this is why i encourage young athletes to be a part of the process they must be a part of the decision making they can't allow other people to guide their path without them taking full responsibility for their actions now i can tell you ian that my confidence come from knowing and if i need to know something especially in a time like this i will go and research it because when i am in that situation i want to be able to have enough knowledge you know oftentimes say that when we learn from trial and error it's a very dangerous thing because i've seen a lot of young athletes lose their career because they follow somebody else's advice and they learn through trial and error and this trial and error way of learning normally it can be very dangerous for young people all right thanks for that guys we're trying to touch on a little bit of everything i know that um we should have try to organize a three part interview but <laughs> but uh I I want to talk a little bit about um how much your spirituality have helped you also to 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 maximize your potential and to to uh, achieve your goals spiritual is the basis you know because as i said before sometimes young people older people too they hear the voice telling them what to do and they choose not to follow. No, I can tell you like what when it happened into when in in, in when Nottie Morgan came to Seaview Gardens 
I was a young boy then. And I remember everything in me was telling me that, Greg, you've got to leave the area. You have to leave the area. And I obeyed. I went over to my aunt and I got the call the next day to say that seven guys got murdered, where they got murdered, and so on and so forth. Spirituality means everything to me. I believe that God exists. And I believe that those who have a humble spirit will always reap the benefits. And when I talk about benefits, I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about peace, peace of mind, contentment. Those who embrace God should be wiser, should be smarter. I don't make emotional decisions anymore because I, will, I, I, I allow God to take charge of my life and lead me in the path that he feels is best for me. Now, I can also tell you this, Ian, that when, when it came time to competition, I usually lock myself off from everybody and I usually focus and meditate on God within me as well. And it always worked because a lot of times we are trying to achieve something in life but we can't hear the voices because we are distracted by the social media, what other people are saying, the, 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 the vanity things, the wants, and we're not allowing the Spirit of God to move us, to guide us, to teach us. All I right. embrace that to the absolute fullest here. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well said, man. I am... You know, always happy to hear your um, your word. You know, always inspiring. And I'm, you know, don't think that I'm not listening. Um, <laughs> I'm not taking notes. Um, I'm taking notes here uh, for myself also because every opportunity I get to increase my knowledge. But remember, and it's always something that you might miss or you might not get correct. So. Every opportunity you get to 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 sharpen up, you know, you know, with from another iron, iron sharp iron, it, it's always good. So um, just I want to move along. As I said, I have the pleasure to actually go to school with you. I was living a walking distance um, from you at George Mason, and um, you know we know that we have spent two or three years at George Mason. I'm happy with the decision I've made. I believe God was directing me because I went to George Mason, not because, you know, I didn't do any big research, like, you know, to scoop out. I just went on faith. So, you know, but I would do the same thing again. So talk about um, what were your major at George Mason and, um, and, and, and why did you get into that? Well, my major at George Mason was uh, speech communication. Uh, at Central Arizona, when I went to Central Arizona, I was taking the advice from some of the, the you know, the people from from different walks of life. So they influenced me at the time to study physiotherapy. So when I went to Central Arizona, there was no physiotherapy course or, 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 or um, program. So what happened is that I was taking a lot of communication classes. So when I transferred to George Mason University, in fact, I did not have enough credits to go into the physiotherapist program. And as a result of that, they had to find a backup plan for me. The beautiful thing was that I took all the communication classes 
while I was at Central Arizona. So it was easy to, to put them in a map and get me to do either speech communication or interpersonal communication. And I chose to do speech communication. I loved it because I started to, to, to learn more about people and how decisions are being made or how decisions should be made. And I started looking at dysfunctional families and I started to look at people not being able to express themselves fully. And I started to like it. So I started to take a whole lot of upper level classes on communication and, and, and sociologies that had to do with, with these interpersonal relationships. And it worked. So, you know, I graduated uh, a semester um, later than before because I left school uh, a year before because I wanted to start my own life. I had enough credits. I only needed nine credits. So I was able to do a whole lot of things different than some other people. All right, awesome. So one of the things that I, I noticed and admire about what Greg was doing, uh, I didn't even know he was doing at the time. It seemed like he was always going to school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even during his whole 10 years running for Jamaica, he was constantly doing um, some form of um, work, school work to educate himself. I want to find out how did you manage? Because most of us, when we are running, we're just focusing on running. Why? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it comes back down to planning, you know, because I was thinking about an exit strategy way before it was time to exit the game. Now, I had personal goals. One of my personal goals was I wanted to be one of the Jamaicans who won more medals than any other 400 meter runner that was something that i pride myself with the all the second thing was i wanted to retire from track and field at the age of 32 because when i started looking at history i started to see that people started to to go downhill after 32 because they they they, they started to lose motivation and because i was in it for so long and i started looking at some of these things i said that i did not want to stay in the game beyond the age of 32 regardless of what was being offered so because of that i was always in school doing some corresponding courses to getting enough credits because i knew that at some point in my life i would need to make the transition i didn't want to then finish track and field and have to go back to school so i was trying to do both at the same time unfortunately for me i had the discipline to make it work and it did work for me all right awesome well we are so happy because now we're we're receiving some of the knowledge that you 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 have done i'm going to hold off a little bit on the track and field i just want to talk a little bit about your books you know because i don't want to um you have so you pretty much succeed in every year as a track and field and uh we could go on and on on the track and field but we want to find out about your inspiration behind your your book so um the the the, the, the one of your first books you know you have contacted me about this book and i actually um you know for some way i mean you know i i it, i i somewhat didn't i've seen it but i didn't see it <laughs> you know I, and i'm sure i'm not the only one but um you wrote a book about uh the 400 meter herders mm -hmm. and and knowing that you um obviously the 400 meter herders have some of the 400 meter 
a strategy in terms of um, it's the same distance. Um, you know, w what was the inspiration behind behind your first book? Well, uh, I think the first book, the first book I did was achieve your highest potential in okay. your career. Okay. It's a, you know, I, I, I'm not one of them who would hype up my own thing, but everything that I'm talking to you about and everything that was in me, I took from deep within to put in that book. It's an easy read. It's a very good book. I'm not just saying that because it's my book, but the information can help someone to find their own purpose and to achieve everything that they set out to achieve. Now, for the, the 400 meter hurdle book that you're talking about, Ian. Yeah. When I was in college, my coach wanted me to run the hurdles. And he felt like I could be a world record holder in hurdling. But I just did not have the desire. But I kept questioning myself, would I really be that good? Because deep down, I knew I had the ability to do it. I just did not have the desire. So I wanted to learn more about it after I retired. So I started interviewing you. I started talking to people like um, Neil Gardner, Danny McPherson about 400 meter hurdling and what are some of the pros and cons, what you can do and what you shouldn't do and so on. So I gathered all the data from you, people like Mr. Coleman and so on. And then I put the book together in terms of um, how you can achieve your highest potential running the 400 hurdles and it covered everything step by step things that people need to do in order to achieve their highest potential in the 400 meter hurdle so even though i did not have the experience in it i had the desire but i also wanted to know what the expert knew people like you people like danny mcpherson people like um neil gardner people like mr coleman and others who shared their thoughts on hurdling and what they needed to do or what they did in order to achieve their full potential. All right, guys, we know that the, the books are on Amazon and you could go to heartmentoringgroup.com um, to get the books from his website also. And uh, welcome, Mr. Jazil Gale. I know you have, um, <laughs> he was around during <laughs> our time, you know. Um, I, I don't know if he have, uh, you know, I don't know how much um, much you have raised him in the 200 meter, but um, as a Kingston College guy, um, you know, I know that he was a 100 and 200 meter sprinter. So welcome, Jazil. Over to you, Ian. Okay, Dr. Harton, as I listen on, you know, just listening as you speak, you know, a man of great wisdom and great accomplishment and with that, I just want to ask you, how important is an athlete public image? And with that, I'm going to give you the chance to shout, give a shout out to some of those athletes that you would have looked up to. So it's like a two-part question. How important is an athlete public image? And from that, tell us some of the athletes that you would have looked up to. Well, put it this way, in, the, in, in track and field, your reputation is your value. If people feel like they can trust you, um, you can be a good role model for kids. You can be a good face for uh, a product. So your reputation must be impeccable. And this is why for me over the years, I realized that all I have is my reputation. 
and I had to make sure that my reputation was 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 upright, consistent, ethical, you name it. When people talk about Gregory Hahn, they're supposed to see determination, consistency, uh, trustworthiness, and so on. That means a lot to me. Now, people that I used to look up to, I used to look up to Merlin Naughty back then because I used to like how Merlin carried herself. Uh, she did good interviews. She was consistent on the track and she was business-like. I really like that. People like Michael Johnson. People may say, why Michael Johnson? I trained him for a while and he was, he was one of the, he's one of the few who I would say was disciplined. He is hardworking. He's smart. He had a good base of support system. He had good advisors around him from, from all walks of life. And this is why he was successful. I also look up to people like Raymond Stewart because I remember when I was in high school and I saw Raymond performing. Man, I used to, I, I, I wanted to be the speed merchant. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Camperdown too because I heard Raymond Stewart went to Camperdown. I also looked up to, um, to Bert Cameron because I remember in the Olympics when he pulled his muscle, he did not stop like most people would. He continued to run. And he was one of my early mentors because he used to tell me things that gave me that killer instinct before a race. He was very good at that. So I used to look up to him. One of the person that I really looked up to coming out of high school was Devon Morris. I know people don't mention a whole lot about Devon Morris, but I remember he gave me my first spikes and I used that spikes at the World Junior and I felt that spike was the fastest spike in the world for me. The reason why I respected him so much because even before I became a known athlete, he took the time to talk with me. You know, he took the time to show an interest to say, you know, young man, you have the talent and you can be good. And I think young people need that, especially in those developing stages. I love Herb McKinley because he, he supported me even though I wasn't from Calabar. He gave me insights. He gave me advice. You know, he did a whole lot for me. And I think that athletes should strive to be like a Herb McKinley, where you, even though you made it, you come back and you look out for others who you feel have the potential to make it as well. So those are just a few people that I can that that I that I can remember right now, but there are many more because one of the things i oftentimes do is to look at people's character and personality and that is why i would choose to follow that person not because they're the fastest in the world but because of the level of discipline and dedication and commitment and honesty and ethics that means a lot to me all right with that said i just want to um, ask you who would you have received your best piece of advice from being an athlete and what and what was that you know if you, if you can remember <laughs> well i must must say that mr griffiths played a major role in my life as a coach i used to play soccer too a lot of people don't know that i also played soccer um hmm. you know so what he said to me about being rich and having to work to achieve wealth and prosperity in life. That is something that sticks with me even today because I realize that 
hard work makes the person good and if you want to achieve anything in life it really starts with you preparing your mind to do the activity to do the work in order to achieve whatever you set out to achieve all right dr harton um you've been positive right through man you know you, you it is like it, 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 it's it's heart rendering you know when you when you speak you know though we know you have your challenges but you know just to listen to wisdom and knowledge that we're gaining right now so what i want to do you know is, is disrupt this so (laughs) and why i'm gonna do it is is to get some learning experience because i've seen that you have used every challenge basically to step up another level on that ladder it's like Mm -hmm. you overcome so i want you to go back and just during your career um could you tell us your worst performance and what did you take away from it Uh, uh, you know well uh that's a very tough one, you know. Um, for me, my worst performance was 1996 at the at the national championship because that was one of the few times that I had high expectations. You know, in 1996, I was one of the favorites to win an Olympic medal because the year before, I finished third behind Michael Johnson and Bush Reynolds. And because I was still young, I was projected to be one of the medalists. But that was a poor race. It was poor decisions leading up to all of that because what I started to find is that when you're in the game so long and you started to to have a whole lot of wolves coming around you, you start to get a little confused, you know? And for me, I was at the point where Track and fielders didn't mean that much to me. And I felt like I was performing that year and I had high expectations and my contracts was depending on on, 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 on me performing. So I felt a whole lot of pressure and I didn't run a good race. And that was one of the few times after a race, I cried. And I remember Neville Mighton, he came over to me and he said, get up, man, walk with me and walk with me around the track. And him said, look, a champion shape this thing off. You know, don't worry about it, man. We can get over this. That is one of the worst experiences of my life because I was used to winning, you know? And I wasn't able to pull it off. And it wasn't, looking back at it, it wasn't that I wasn't able to pull it, pull it off. I think those three young men, um, uh, Roxburgh Martin, Michael McDonald, and Davian Clark, they were just coming into their own. And I think they performed better than expected and they deserved the opportunity because they actually went there and did well for their country and themselves. So for me, that was one of the most hurtful experience to, 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 to be able to go to your first Olympics and run the individual event and you fell short. What I learned from that though is to make sure that you have good advisors because that was one of the few times I started to stray a little bit away from the principles of success and I started to, to do things in an emotional way and it, it, it cost me a lot financially as well for two years because I had similar experiences in 96 and 97 and when I was able to push that off 
I came at 98 and 99 and 2000 and 2001 and regroup myself. So, you know, in life, you must have a little bit of good and bad, positive and negative. It's just a part of life. I, I can tell you, I don't like those experiences, but I also knew it was a part of the development. And you need those bad experiences sometimes in order to, to have that hunger, the fire to be burning again. All right. So now that I'm just going to move away from that, and I'm going to bring you now to the point that you make us all cry you know <laughs> this this is just tears of joy and tears to see the what you are made of you know you were basically a man that fell rolled over got up and delivered that button i think to davian clark if i'm not lying but that was one of the race that i've watched that tears came to my eyes you know just to see what you did there you know it could have much different so i really want you to take us back to that 400 four by four hundred really so yeah just tell us what happened there yeah that was not a part of the script you know that, that was that before you answer that question you know what let i want to show i want to play this clip here and uh, we actually we get he will tell you a little bit about it and and we will you know he could give his feedback about it too so we give him a chance right here um, yeah take a breather right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah you see um, i told you about it hi yeah dr gregory Houghton here three-time olympic medalist and world champion in track and field I am also the founder and president of Houghton Mentoring Group. Most people will agree that 2020 has been a very controversial year. And while many have experienced immeasurable suffering, a lot of people made more money in 2020 than in any other year. So based on your experience, how do you feel about 2020 coming to an end? Was it a good year or was it a bad year? Think about it for a minute. For some of us, when things get tough, we tend to lose our focus, our determination, and our sense of purpose. While for others, adversity seems to bring out the best in them. But the true essence of life is to shake off any misfortune or disappointments and keep on moving forward in good and bad times. In the 1996 Olympic game in Atlanta, Georgia, after taking the baton from a teammate, I fell, rolled over, quickly got back on my feet and kept on moving forward. This was not easy, but a determined mind helped me to pull it off and life rewarded me with my first Olympic medal. One should never give up on themselves or give up on life. For those of you who have lost a loved one or loved ones along the way, please accept my sincere condolences. I know what it is like to experience a death or misfortune in the family. I too have lost a wife and a mother, and some days I still struggle to overcome the feeling of sadness. But life is about giving your best effort each day, whether you feel like it or not. To overcome any pain, any disappointment or frustration on the road to life, 
it is important that you embrace a determined mindset. Why is this important? Because others in our families are dependent on us to guide them through these difficult times. With a determined mindset, some of us will attract and experience success and prosperity even in difficult times. And this is how life desires us to do it. On January 23rd, I will be hosting a free webinar to help you to attract prosperity in your life by showing you how to think, act, and be. No gimmicks, no trick. After this webinar, you will feel confident with your new ability to analyze and take actions to better your life. You will have the ability to view challenges with fresh unbiased eyes. Believe me, with time, you will grow to appreciate your new levels of understanding, clarity, confidence, and focus in your life. I have found on the journey called life, those who did not invest in their personal development grew to become regretful, resentful, and miserable as they got older. Do not become that person. So do not let this opportunity pass you by. Register now because we have less than 50 seats available. Thank you for listening. I am Dr. Gregory Horton. Have a blessed day. Wow, wow, wow. Take mm. the floor, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it comes back down to attraction. Just what I'm talking about. I think that while I was at the Olympics, even though I started to train better than before, my mind wasn't fully in the game because I still felt the disappointment of not being able to, to represent my country in the individual event. So it seemed like I couldn't shake some of the negative things that were happening to me. And it is because of how I was thinking in the moment so what really happened what happened that day had no reason to happen because even though i moved out fast enough the misfortune took place and the thing that was going through my mind then is you can't let the team down Greg. you can't let the team down i can't tell you how i was able to hold the baton because i have a clippings of the event and when I went and rolled over, I had both hands on the button. And when I got up, I can tell you this, that it was one of the toughest things I had to do in my life. Because once I hit the ground and I stumbled again, trying to get back on my feet, by the time I hit the 100 meter mark, I was dead tired. I don't know how I got around the track. I must say that God helped me and I was giving my all. And when I was coming around the turn, I was wondering, where are the other guys? Where are the other guys? Because I felt like the, some, the, the, the two at least up front, they were just moving away from me. I felt the pain. I felt the frustration. I felt disappointed. And then after the event, I gave, Davian looked so upset. I thought he was so mad at me. But I was happy <laughs> that we still finished third. But he said, no, he wasn't, he wasn't upset. He was a little tired because he had to run those four rounds. So it wasn't something that was planned. But this is what life is. That things will happen when you least expect it. But don't sit down and mope and cry. Do your best. Get up. 
put your best foot forward, keep on moving, and what happened, happened. And I think that was my mindset. I wanted a medal so bad because I remember saying to myself, if I didn't get a medal that day, somebody would have to take me off the track because I wasn't going to leave. And it worked out. You know, God is good all the time. And I appreciate that medal more than anything else. All right. Uh, Dr. Horton, you know, with that said, you know, I guess some of us can put a closure to that chapter. <laughs> but what I take uh, what I take from it is your strength. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's your strength. I take up uh, the courage to get up continue and know that you have team members that was depending on you you know that in itself we were watching on yes we would have loved the gold medal but i think with you just getting up as you said no you even give us some more you hold on to that button two hand that's yeah. simple me you ain't gonna let it go <laughs> and yeah, you were because, able to... because it really it wasn't about me in the moment too ian as i said before we had other guys on the team and these guys wanted a medal too. In fact, Jamaica wanted that relay medal more than anything else. I wanted that medal more than anything else. So, you know, again, in life, it should never be about me because if it was really about me alone, I would have laid there because it was the easy thing to do. I would have justified reason to stay on the track and do nothing but it's not a part of my personality. It's not a part of who I wanted to be. So, you know, history revealed itself. And now we're able to talk about this how many years after the fact. Because what took place, it was historic. Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, I'm just saying, I want to say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the team. You know, proud of the work that you have done through the years. And I, I just still want to go back to one more. I know Ian would love to ask this question, but I'm just in the moment here, you know. And and, and I got to bring back some of the glory days. You know, I, I'm not following the athletics as Ian would. Ian is on the track, he's flying he's at every event. But an event that I want you to take us back to is finishing second behind Michael Johnson then and that hug at the finish line. You and Michael, like, you know, you, you talk about him. <laughs> you know, you know um, this is the first time this story is actually being told in public because, you know, Michael Johnson, as I said, he very hard worker and, you know, he wanted me to be successful and he also wanted his coach to be successful. I was the first um, foreigner to train at Baylor University and Michael Johnson and Coach Hart gave me that opportunity. I was the second professional athlete for Coach Hart and Baylor to win an individual Olympic medal. So they took me in as a part of the family from Baylor because I used to do everything with them. So when he came back to greet me, greet me for a few reasons. One of them was the fact that it was the second person for Coach Hart to win an individual medal. And also for the fact that he knew that I was going through some tough times then but the real story behind the race is that because i got lane eight i had to use the strategy that i did where i had to get out hard and i knew that it would take away from me coming back but i had no choice because the 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 the, the, the corners the turns they were longer than usual so in fact what mike said that when he saw me 
on the on the turn he got nervous for a minute because he realized that i was strong enough and if i was able to hold on to that momentum that i was build building that he would be in trouble so he said to me after the race greg when i saw you out there i panicked for a little bit and i had to step on the gas and you know he stepped on the gas he caught me i was still able to hold on and because of that he was happy that he was able to defend his medal and he was also happy that i was able to win a medal for for coach hart for Baylor university and for jamaica so you know that's the real story behind it and it is one of my most prestigious accolades because it is my first and only individual olympic medal and i am pleased with that all right um personally i want to know how it, it make you feel from the heart you know did, did you ever just break down in tears because i know everything after went to michael johnson the commentary everything they talk about you but we weren't able to see you the, the yeah. emotion after what what was yeah. it that was going i was on the ground you know they have one and two pictures but i was on the ground and i was <laughs> crying because you know I, it was the first time i was really crying because i was overwhelmed i had personal issues i was going through a separation at the time with with my son and his mother and everything so it was a whole lot of personal issues that i was faced with and it goes to show that like like some people i could have allowed the personal issues to 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 prevent me from achieving my my goal then because even though there were other things in the back of my mind i was happy that i was able to persevere regardless of the situations that i was experiencing at the time so that is why i was crying i was just crying because i got the individual medal i was crying because i was able to prevail all the odds and and the criticism and the negative things and the personal issues and the personal challenges and this is why i'm doing that seminar too because i want people to know that you have a lot of talent but you shouldn't allow your personal issues to interfere with your growth and your development and most of the time as human beings that's what we do we have the talent we have everything else but we can't seem to overcome some of the personal issues and the disappointments that we are faced with in life all right uh dr harton so just as you speak on challenges disappointment and you know i just want to ask you you know what are some of the challenges that you face outside of track and field that actually make you cry because i know you've been through a few well my wife you know i love my wife ian norwell we went to college together you know you know this is a person that she understood clearly who i was who i wanted to be and you know it wasn't the toughest loss and one of the reasons why it was so tough too because we had two little girls together and they weren't going to see their mother again uh it was tough too because of the process that we went through where because she had cancer two years seemed like it was a waste in terms of back and forth and the suffering and the pain and sometimes you're going through those things you can't share that with anybody because they may not fully understand what you are going through in the moment and these are things that i have to live with knowing that 
you will never see the person again and there are things in your life that you wanted to do that you didn't do and things that you wanted to say and the sorry and the love you you're not going to get it done anymore but again it's a part of life and then losing my mother is a very tough thing too because i love my mother dearly you know and it was a similar situation where we it, it, you know life seemed like it was beating me up but in life when you have obligations when you have duties when you have responsibilities you can't think about the pain and the frustration alone yes we all need time to heal and we all need time to take a break mentally and physically from from what is going on around us but you can't take a break where you're not fulfilling your rules and your obligations in life because people are depending on you to hold it together some people around us they are not strong enough and they feed off your energy so if they see you losing it then they too will end up lose out on on something that could be better so yes it's a part of life i take it i learn from it and this is why i am driven to help people who may not be as strong as i am who are going through their personal issues and their personal challenges that i can show them that there is a success formula whether they believe in it or not if they believe in it then they too can achieve their full potential and i can tell you this that when you're sad and you 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 experiencing good things it help you to cope with the level of sadness but when nothing is going on good for you in your life and you're sad no positive thing coming in life just don't work living so for those who are watching now who find themselves in dire situation and they don't know who to turn to this is why i said that i would expose them to my team where whatever goals and dreams they have i will make sure that we can help them to plan this out where they too can experience some of the positive rewards that life has to offer all right um dr harton as a father a father of two young kids um given i, I don't know how to put it but that was just and you know, unexpected you know you, you you never see this coming but i just want to know as a father how does a father hug a child or how does a father transition and also to help their their, 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 their kid transition past this because i don't think much of us could handle this so how do you handle this with two kids as a father knowing well, mommy ain't gonna be there well again it comes back down to mental training and condition conditioning one's mind to deal with what is to come now as human beings one of the things we don't do we are not honest with ourselves we're not honest with how we feel about situations we're not honest in how we assess our situation we're not honest with the strategy that we put forward and because of that we settle for less that wasn't me no i'll never take all the credit raising these two girls because along the way i had good support you know i had people who were there who helped my daughters too to understand life so you know even though i played the lead role in the decision making and what is right i made sure that as young as they were that i instilled discipline and i made them know no no early that we are not a victim in this thing there are positive things to learn from it even though right now we may not seem to find it but we are not a victim 
we're going to make sure that we have a certain level of discipline we have a certain level of commitment stick to something where we're consistent with what we do and so far so good as they get older they're grasping these concepts and they're putting it into motion so i just want to take the time to thank all those individuals people close and far who had priors for me people who call me people who text me um you know a lot of people a lot of people you know a lot of people helped me during my difficult times and i just want to take the time they know who they are i don't have to call names that i do appreciate all that you have done for me and this is why i am passionate and driven to help other people find their self and goal because in tough times you need the support of the people that you love you need the support of people with the knowledge and the experience that can guide you point you in the right direction this is why i am driven to make this world a better place all right with that said um dr harton uh, a man of your statue um could you just tell us what family values are important to you well honesty is is important to me i i as i said earlier that the home should be the training ground where parents teach their kids discipline dedication honesty commitment understanding and you name it one of the thing we are doing as parents we are allowing our kids to raise themselves we're not having those real life discussion with these kids. We allow them to go on all different social media platform and do what they want to do. I am not an emotional person, so I make sure that when I'm communicating with my kids, they understand who I am and they understand that I am preparing them for the world. I want my kids to make a positive difference in this world. And this is why I push them I love them I respect them but honesty is important to me. I rather you you tell me as it is and let us talk it through than you try to camouflage and be deceptive. I don't like that. I think that when people see you it means a lot in terms of when they when you give them their word it means something. And this is why with my family, immediate family I make sure that honesty is a priority one must be upright one must be trustworthy i don't like people who start something and can't finish it and we find that in this world today a lot of people are starting something they can't finish it relationships are like that careers are like that um personal life situations are like that we need to use the home as a training ground where we can prepare not just the kids but even the adults to go out there in this world and do positive things. All right, Dr. Harton, we know, you know there's a lot to cover. <laughs> we have covered a lot. And I just want you to take this opportunity to just let the viewers know, whoever listen further, what is it that you are doing, you know, being through all of this, you know, your your your, your disappointment, you know, your success, you know, your journey you know just what is it that you are doing to make life better for others just share well, you know you know ian that 
in life, people don't get it. And one of the things you must do is that when you help people in a positive way, it put a smile, it should put a smile on your face. So even though we didn't get a, ch- a whole other chance to talk about mentoring, because mentoring is when you find that a person is not able to get from point A to point B because they may lack knowledge, they may not lack the experience, they may lack a team, they lack the know-how. And a mentor is one, which is what I am, is to take a person from point A to point B and to make sure that if they follow these steps, they can achieve any goal, any plan, any mission, any vision that they have. I can use my live experience, which is what I do, to help people to first find themselves. Because I believe that before you can change the world, you must first change the way you think. And by changing the way you think, you can have a positive impact on this world. So as a mentor, I make sure that I help others to achieve their goals and their dreams. Because just like how my goal and dream meant a lot to me, people out there goals and dreams also mean a lot to them and when you don't achieve things when you set out to and do all the work and you fall short it's not a good experience and i've seen where people life come to ruins because they put everything in a goal and a plan but because of bad advice and bad information they they fail my goal is to help people to achieve their full potential my goal is to use my team and help you to achieve your goals because sometimes you don't have the resources you don't have the time you don't have the knowledge and the experience but i have paid the price and one of the reasons why i'm passionate too because there were areas in my life where i fell short and i wanted the support and i wanted the guidance and i didn't get it and because of that i know how it feels when somebody out there want to achieve something they can taste it they can feel it but they keep falling short. I will do my best to make sure that whatever goal people have in life, if you're willing to trust me and follow me, that I can get them to achieve their full potential in anything they set out to achieve. On that note there, I just want to say thank you. I want to turn you right back over to Ian, but some powerful words there, man. I'll I, 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 I say something <laughs> later on. Go. Do you, Ian? Well, guys, I'm have to go over. Um, I'm gonna have to um go on my back book right now because uh, <laughs> we're 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 going a little bit over time, you know. So we'll go by a few extra minutes. Um, but I'm just gonna summarize. Um, you know, obviously, as I said, Greg, we have have accomplished so much. Um, you know, we know that we're not able to cover everything because um. We could just talk about the athletics alone. We could talk about the mentor and we could talk about the books. We could we could talk about he being an educator, you know. So it's it's several things that we could talk about one topic. But, you know, I just want to piggyback after the 96th Olympics um, that Greg, um, you know, in 97, he, well, first and foremost, Greg, just just for the record did 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 that that did, did that race affect you mentally after the olympics in any way knowing that you might feel like you let some of the guys down did it affect you in, in any way yeah 
it um yeah in a lot of ways because again in life you know when you don't achieve what you set out to achieve if you don't have a strong mind it can plague you for a long period of time and sometimes you know depends on the situation it can linger and even though i always had a strong mind it took me longer than before to get rid of the negative thoughts because one of the negative thought was for me to accept that i was no longer dominating the event in jamaica and i wasn't going to accept that but there is a whole lot of things that 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 goes into into all of these but yes it did affect my my way of thinking for a period of time but i was eager to find ways to reverse the process of failure that started and one of the way i was able to overcome that is i spent some time in jamaica i started going back to places that i was familiar with and i started to have good conversations with people that i could trust what they were saying and it gave me a renewed energy and spirit so it wasn't affecting me as much as it used to and as as time went by i started feeling good again my body started getting better my my mind start the confidence started to come back and i was able to 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 continue with dominating the 400 meter in jamaica all right well said so we know that you have actually won your first national championship as a senior athlete in 99 and you could correct me if i'm wrong mm-hmm. but uh you was the jamaica national champion 400 meter winner in 1999 and um you also defend the, ch- the title in the year 2000 <laughs> you know you was uh, uh another um victorious now how how did that knowing that you have accomplished so much but you know you you know what was your strategy going to the trials was it something that you planned that you just want to finish in the top three when you go to the trials or it was just um the timing or you know you know wrong execution how did well you say that well if i'm not mistaken i i think i won my first senior championship in 94 i won in 95 i won in 99 i won in 2000 um so uh, there was another one somewhere along the line um you see at the end of the, at, the, at the end of the day ian my thing is this that some of these races they carry over into other areas of one's life and for me it was I, I, well first i never liked running in jamaica i never liked how the crowd reacted i felt more pressured running in jamaica this is one of the few times i'm actually saying that but you know with the michael with the michael mcdonald era where everybody wanted michael mcdonald to be the winner because he was the homegrown guy and it seemed like everybody was against us and then you had you know young davian coming into his own and then you had the Roxbert and so on and the Daddy McFarlane. I never felt comfortable because it seemed like I had to always prove myself when I was in Jamaica. And because these at least two had their own fans, the fans can be brutal sometimes. So I never felt that comfort running on the Jamaican side, the Jamaica side. But I felt comfortable running outside of Jamaica. So with that being said, every time I went to Jamaica, 
even though deep down I wanted to win, I was just hoping to be in the top three where I could run that individual event because I knew that once I went to a foreign country, my goal was to annihilate anybody who, you know, was trying to take away my medal. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, thank you for that clarification. And I want you to, to tell me which was your best year. We know 95, you was the NCAA champion with George Mason. Mm-hmm. Now you went on to win a bronze medal in at the world championship. 96, nine, we know 99, you finished fifth, but you was Pan American Games champion. Yeah. We know the year 2000, you was a bronze medalist. And I believe going into 2001 and 2002, you was actually world number one, a yeah. uh, 400 meter runner. Which one of those years would you say would you I, I know it's pretty tough all of them have their ups and downs but wh- what which one of those years you think that was the Gregory Orton year in your opinion I would say 95 because 95 I was dominating the 400 meter in the world you know I would go into over to Europe and I was winning almost everything I won the NCAA championship um, that year uh I was young, I was fresh, I was I was doing great. And when you when you look at some of the things that I did in 1995, you know, I run like 44 almost 10 times or more. You know, I was just unbeatable. The only person who really had a chance was the Michael Johnson and the Bush Reynolds. So I would say that 1995 without a doubt has been the best years in my career. All right. And my, this is a question from me now. Um, <laughs> you know, from Ian. Um, honestly, um, did you think that you could have um, run faster in the 400 and possibly break the Jamaica record at the time? And um, what do you think you, you know, could have done different? You know, uh, to be honest with you, I remember one time I went to a meet and I was thinking about breaking the national record. And I went out so hard that day and I ended up losing the race and I, it was one of the worst race I ran overseas, you know. The feeling was terrible. And because of that, I started to say to myself that I would never ever go into a race again thinking about breaking a record. I was more focused on running a race where I could get a medal because I knew that at the end of the day, records come and go. But if you have that medal, no one can deny you of that because the history books speak for itself. And for that reason, I was more focused on winning medals. I really didn't care much about the time. I don't care what people say about the time. I was more focused. I was more interested in winning medals. It didn't matter what color. As long as I was in the top three, I was satisfied with the results. All right, thank. So I'm going to summarize your career. Um, you was you have retired um, in 2004. Um, did not get a chance to go to the third Olympics. Um, how would you summarize your retirement and um, how disappointed was that? A disappointment, not able to to to, to push for another Olympics. Definitely, because that was the goal. The goal was to go to three Olympics and then retire, regardless of what the outcome would have been. 
And the thing about it, Ian, that you were there when, you know, the misfortune happened where, you know, I was, I was ready. You know, I knew that 2004 would have been my year because I had the experience. I knew how to train. I knew I started getting my race strategy down where it felt so easy and comfortable. So I really wanted 2004 to be the year that I went out with a bang. I did everything that I was supposed to. I invested in everything that I needed to. But over the years, I had a wear and tear on my right hip joint. And I think it was just too much in 2004. One of the things you have to do, you have to take the good and you have to take the bad. Um, I had a very good run. Yes, I wanted to run my, run my last race and go out with style. But it didn't happen. And I just had to accept it. And I felt good that I made enough ground early where i didn't feel like you know i had to go to another olympics because i had the medals i had the time i had the accolades i i had basically everything that i wanted so i can live with that all right thank you so we're gonna done with the track question i'm gonna have two or three more questions um about your mentoring group because we know that you have got so much in you and um you have got so much experience you have so much knowledge and we're so happy that you actually have decided to form Heart Mentoring Group. So just tell us a little history about Heart Mentoring Group. When did you actually um, the, the form the company and what was the, your, your, your motivation behind it? Well, as I said earlier, Ian, that when in my time, a lot of the things that I figured out in life, it really wasn't taught to me directly. I would look, I would um, learn. And I remember I was in a lot of situations, even though I was one of the top athletes in the world, people really didn't know some of the things that we had to go through, even when we trained with others. One of the things I wanted more than anything else was to have a group um, because I would watch the HSI and the Cap Sprint Capital and, and all these other companies or groups where it seemed like they were a unit. They had everything at their fingertips. I never had that in my time. I remember going to meets and wanted chiropractic work and even though I had the money to pay, the chiropractors wouldn't work on me because it would be a violation of working with other athletes that I am competing against. So it was very tough and a lot of time I had to suffer even though I was able to perform well. I knew I could perform better. I remember I was at a meet and I, I, I was about to scratch the 400 meter final because of the pain. And when the chiropractor came over to me, he said that, you know, he wasn't able to work on me because he had somebody from Australia, which it was his primary responsibility. And he was able to work on me last minute before I went out on the track. So the mentoring group came about because I wanted more out of life and I used more talent and and, 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 and I used to bust my brain as the Jamaican they would say to figure out things and a lot of the things that I learned too it was through trial and error which wasn't the best way to learn but God was by my side so when I formed Heart the Mentoring Group in fact Heart the Mentoring Group was first GP Sports and Nutrition where we focused on the three pillars of success but Heart the Mentoring Group moved from just focusing on athletes to focus on career individuals 
who too are aspired to achieve their goal. And because I have a PhD and I'm a college professor, I know some of the struggles and the challenges that people are faced with in their career, in athletics, and in their personal life. And this is why I put together a heart mentoring group with a series, a group of people who anything you need, we will find the right person that can help you to achieve your goal. It's not just me. I am good at what I do, but there are areas that I am not able to help others with. So I make sure that whosoever we bring on board to assist and guide others, that we are getting the best, honest, ethical work and that we are putting in place a plan that is specific for their individual needs. And this is where Art the Mentor Room come in. And this is what separates us from others because we have a mission. Our mission is to help people to find their purpose. And I'm starting by helping you to find yourself so you too can find your purpose and help other people to find their purpose. Because in my life, I had to work hard and struggle in order to find the level of success. And God was by my side because I was able to pull it off. Some people are not as blessed and fortunate as I am. And as a result, they need my help. They need my guidance. They need my expertise. They need my support in order to find their purpose in life. All right. Well said, well said, well said, well said. So um, with, 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 with the existence of Orchard Mentoring Group and, and all the service that you provide for everyone. Now, I know that you, you mentor athletes and I know you mentor um, pretty much everyone. But who do you believe in your books that who do you believe that should receive mentoring? You see, in Africa, in most of those areas, you find that mentoring is supposed to be a natural way of life. You know, you hear they use the term, it takes a village to raise a group of people. And it is true because mentoring is about using your lived experience to guide individuals who are or will experience similar things that you experience in your life. And when you learn from trial and error, as I say, is a very dangerous thing to do. One of the things I found that successful people, wealthy people, they go out and they get the best individuals to guide them along the way because they're not going to make mistakes because they are aware that mistakes can be costly. So it's the same thing. A mentor is one who guides anyone on a path from point A to point B, knowing that I've been there I've done that. I have the lived experience. All of us need that. Because even in their financial life, we need someone who knows exactly somebody who's trustworthy and they can mentor us through that. In relationships, sometimes we make foolish decisions in, in relationships. We need someone who can guide us and help us to see clearly how things are. So in every areas of your life, you need to have an expert who can honestly guide you from point a to point b because if you don't get that guidance if you don't get that support then you're going to make decisions based on your emotions and when you make the decision based on emotions you always pay a hefty price uh, awesome awesome well said so another question from me um so choosing a mentor 
what's the the what would be the process um for 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 possibly a teenager um to get some mentoring is there a timeline or um it's 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 a case by case difference and how 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 often would that be well um that's a very good question and i would suggest that i'm going to answer your question but uh, my dissertation is on focus it's in progress and it's about 250 pages and in the last two chapters it had everything to do in terms of the different types of mentoring when you mentor how to mentor so i think it might be free so you can go on progress and you can get a copy of my dissertation that has to do with mentoring because i spent a long time looking at mentorship so you have different types of mentoring and it depends on the individual some individuals it may take a longer time for them to trust you that they may be going through some emotional trauma and that may require more time where the person can 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 interact more with you so it's a whole lot of thing but and then you also need the match because personalities it goes a far way you don't want to just get a person and throw them with a, ma- a male or a female you have to make sure that based on style based on the person's personality that there is a fit you know some people are understanding some people may want you to go direct some people may want you to take time to break down the different layers as you help them to find themselves so it just based on the different the, the the personality um also time you can i've mentored people before where they're ready to go within day one they don't need no time to get acquainted they're ready to speak to you they're ready to tell you all the issues and you have some people who it, 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 it you know it's not like they're hiding anything but because of their personality they don't trust people that easily and they don't open up to you that easily so it takes time to win over their trust and their confidence before they can open up so there are different ways you have formal mentoring you have informal mentoring and again it's just based on the individual once you go through the preliminaries by having a discussion then you will have a feel as to what is best for the person so one of the thing we do we go to a series of questions and from these series of questions then we get an idea as to the personality type the personality trait and then we can use that to fit people together to make sure that it is the perfect fit for you okay so by uh, one more question um so how, how what are what what are some of the difficulty you know mentoring um you find that you you're facing the mentoring just just over the years are you doing it some people are not honest and that one of the toughest thing that you can't really help them if they're not telling you the truth um some people they are so deeply affected by some of the past experiences that they are not able to be objective in what they are saying so they want to be honest but their recollection of the events and the activities are not accurate and they believe that also you have people who are not easily trusting and when you have people who question everything that you say because they don't trust you then it's going to be hard to get them to see that their level of thinking is what is causing them to be in the situation that they are in now so those are the three main issues that i find in terms of mentoring i find that people who are easily trusted people who are 
honest with how they feel people who are able to articulate themselves and explain what they really mean during these situations that they are able to 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 overcome their situations faster than those who um lack these other qualities all right well said well i'm very 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 um inspired and i'm very um motivated i think that um the term mentoring i have learned tonight that mentoring can be for people that um are doing well also because yes. uh you know it's it's just trying to become the best version of yourself yes. you know you know so i know viewers might be listening and everybody might think that oh i'm doing fine you know i <laughs> i don't need a mentor what i need a mentor for you know but you know the goal in life is 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 to have a mentor it's just like a storm you know um you know or anything you do you want to have things in place that that people you can go to so whenever you have a certain issues you know you have that person that you could go to so i i i really hope, you know um think that this year is a is a must for 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 families so what would be your message you know from all the experience and what would be your life lesson message to the families wife and husband brothers sons and daughters well uh, <laughs> well i've always said this over and over and sometimes people don't understand it but you know if i could turn by the hands of time i know i would do a lot of things in my life different i'm sure those people who are listening right now if they could turn by the hands of time 10 years from now they would do a whole lot of things different because hindsight is better than 2020 but because we're not able to turn back the hands of time for me everything that i do moving forward must be properly calculated because i have no time for setbacks i have no time to learn through trial and error i want to have and live a loving and peaceful and prosperous life and it is mistakes that prevent us from living our fullest at our highest potential so i'm saying to the people today who find themselves in a ditch that you can turn back the hands of time now by making good decisions moving forward and those mistakes that you made and those mistakes that are carrying over are carried over into 2021 you can say no more some of the mistakes that are affecting you now are mistakes that you made 10 years ago 20 years ago and you can't outrun these mistakes so my thing about it now is let us assess your situation let us look at it for what it is and let us solve it once and for all so 2021 and beyond is 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 prosperity because you know no longer will be making emotional decisions but you are making decisions based on logics as i said before success has a formula it is just that people don't know the formula and because they don't know the formula they make things up as they go along and when they make things up as they go along the plan is not effective because there's a lot of things that they ignore while making it up as they go all right greg i'm closing my book right now um you know i know that you know you have spend um the last two and a half hours with us um i know we have borrowed you from your family <laughs> you know um, for a little bit longer than 
we have planned. But uh, my final question to you, and then Ian could say his final words, um, you know, that Gregory Horton, Dr. Gregory Horton, um, the Olympian, um, three-time Olympian, Olympic medalist, Pan American World Championship, start from the top down what you'd want to be known for um just thinking about um your life your legacy well, well that one is easy now ian because you know when i saw herb mckinley and some of the things that he used to do for athletes you know i remember my mother got her visa because herb mckinley made sure that he took her to the embassy so that she could get that visa to watch me perform the first time in Atlanta, Georgia. So what Herb McKinley was doing at the time for athletes, people like me who never even make it that big yet, he was very supportive. I want to be known as the person who helped other people to achieve their goals. I achieved mine. It's a good feeling. I help my family out of poverty and it is a good feeling. You may have a similar aspiration to do the same thing. I want to be known of the person who can help other people to find their true purpose in life, to find success in life, to find happiness and prosperity in life. Amen. Over to you, Ian. All right, Dr. Houghton, um, since we're on the subject of mentoring, there was like two questions I wanted to get in there. And uh, first one, I'm just going to double it up, is like how important is that relationship between the mentor and his or her mentee? And I want you to just look back 10 years ago. Have you ever in envisioned your career path as it is today? you know doing what you're doing with such passion yes and the reason why i would say that because during my development as i said before there were things that i wanted i wanted a mentor who i could talk to any time of the day because i had some deep issues one of them was the killing in tv gardens because it affected me for a long period of time i did not have anybody to express to how i truly feel about it and how it affected me that my friends were no longer here. Same thing with track and field. I have gotten myself in trouble on numerous occasions and there was nobody that I could talk to for them to understand the pain, especially when I was going through my, my troubling times, 96 and 97, not making the individual event. That was hurting, it was hard, crushing man. And I wanted somebody to express to how I felt. So it is important. You know, some of us may have good friends and we can talk to our good friends. The problem is that sometimes our good friends are not trained to, to tell us things and to break things down in a way that they can fully understand it. And because I wanted that, one of, the, one of my gifts now is that I can create an image in a person's mind where they can now see the different steps that they need to take. They can see everything that leads to being successful. And I'm able to do that because that is something that I wanted. I wanted someone to assure me and show me the different formulas and say, this is it, Greg, follow it to the T and everything will be okay. I never had that fully. 
And this is why anybody who work with me, I don't call names and Ian know many of the people that I work with as well, that they are a hundred percent satisfied because one of the things with mentoring, it goes beyond career. It goes into your personal life. It goes into your personal development. Now, one of the things I would say about this, which is very important for your listeners to understand this, that people who don't invest in their personal development, when you talk with them now, they are very regretful. They are very resentful. They are angry of the fact that they should have done this and they didn't do it and they could have if they only did this. That's a hard burden to carry, especially when you start to get older. So a mentor can put things in perspective. A mentor can turn you into a believer. Believing in who? Believing in yourself. All right, great, great. Uh, Dr. Harton, you know, listening to you, you, you speak so engaging, man. How did you develop that? that? It's a gift. You see, some people can't do what I do and I can't do what some people do. You know, there's a certain level of passion that when I talk to people, they are aware that I am honest. I've always tried to be honest with my assessment with myself and my loved ones and the people that I work with. So when I speak, I don't have to go by a script. We're speaking for two and a half hours. There is no script in front of me because I'm speaking from the heart. This is my gift. And people who try to take away or replicate what I do, they may end up falling short because this is my gift from God to help people. I genuinely want to help people. You know, one of the funniest thing is that my friends who were never able to make a national team, that when I used to go to Jamaica and I would share my success with them, you could see that they enjoyed it to the fullest. And I'm saying that why should one rob this from other people? If I'm able to help my friends, them to feel this good about life and themselves and to be motivated to take on the world, should we inspire more people to want to be like that where they too now can, can help others to believe in themselves and to experience good prosperity? That is why I'm driven. I am driven because I want people to experience some of the things that I experience. I want people to be able to change lives the way I am changing lives. Man, I just want to say, you know, personally, I've been inspired here. And it's a lot of knowledge, you know, a lot to be taken away from tonight. And I know, you know, we we, we probably have to go right through this entire interview. You know, and we just <laughs> want to say thanks to you for taking the time out. We know we have pushed you over the limit because man you're a man with so much material <laughs> <laughs> we are really pushing you want to the be in the seminar that is when you're going to get the pre-release because the information that i'm sharing is going to be exclusive <laughs> for the seminar the webinar on the 23rd <laughs> we, we, we're definitely gonna run that clip again because you know definitely you know uh, there's a lot to take away from just this that is not um directly geared toward that mentoring and all that but you know to be in a class with you as a teacher i can just tell the experience that that is gonna be so i encourage all the viewers all the listeners you know share it and try to make yourself available as you say it is free in this world you know not much thing is given and as they say 
to who much is given, much is expected. And I'm happy that you took that challenge up, man. And you know, you have given up yourself and even in tonight, just being here, you have really given a lot in terms of the knowledge. You have able to inspire a lot of us. And I know a lot of people will be motivated, you know, that you can come from Seaview Garden and still make it that you have DR for doctor in front of your name. So we just want to say thank you, Dr. Gregory Harton, for your time. Thank you for just stopping in with Ian and Ian and Real Talk. And this was some real talk, you know. So thank you, you know, and, and it was a privilege, you know, to basically be on virtual with you tonight, you know. My pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you guys for having me. God bless you all and continue to do the good work because the only way we can continue to inspire people is by us working together and we can reach people near and far and it is something that is necessary right now. So I appreciate the opportunity and the platform. All right. We're going to run the video and um, close out um, tonight. And, you know, as I said, wish you all the best, man. And I wish to continue to um, keep, to, to, to honor and to cherish the friendship that we have. Definitely. Uh, um, you know, so with that said, we're going to run this clip Hi, here. One more. Dr. Gregory Houghton here, three-time Olympic medalist and world champion in track and field. I am also the founder and president of Houghton Mentoring Group. Most people will agree that 2020 has been a very controversial year. And while many have experienced immeasurable suffering, a lot of people made more money in 2020 than in any other year. So based on your experience, how do you feel about 2020 coming to an end? Was it a good year or was it a bad year? Think about it for a minute. For some of us, when things get tough, we tend to lose our focus, our determination and our sense of purpose. While for others, adversity seems to bring out the best in them. But the true essence of life is to shake off any misfortune or disappointments and keep on moving forward in good and bad times. In the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, Georgia, after taking the baton from a teammate, I fell, rolled over, quickly got back on my feet and kept on moving forward. This was not easy, but a determined mind helped me to pull it off and life rewarded me with my first Olympic medal. One should never give up on themselves or give up on life. For those of you who have lost a loved one or loved ones along the way, please accept my sincere condolences. I know what it is like to experience a death or misfortune in the family. I too have lost a wife and a mother, and some days I still struggle to overcome the feeling of sadness. But life is about giving your best effort each day, whether you feel like it or not. To overcome any pain, any disappointment or frustration on the road to life, it is important that you embrace a determined mindset. Why is this important? Because others in our families are depending on us to guide them through these difficult times. With a determined mindset, some of us will attract and experience success and prosperity even in difficult times. And this is how life desires us to view it. On January 23rd, I will be hosting a free webinar to help you to attract prosperity in your life 
by showing you how to think, act, and be. No gimmicks, no trick. After this webinar, you will feel confident with your new ability to analyze and take actions to better your life. You will have the ability to view challenges with fresh unbiased eyes. Believe me, with time, you will grow to appreciate your new levels of understanding, clarity, confidence, and focus in your life. I have found on the journey called life, those who did not invest in their personal development grew to become regretful, resentful, and miserable as they got older. Do not become that person. So do not let this opportunity pass you by. Register now because we have less than 50 seats available. Thank you for listening. I am Dr. Gregory Horton. Have a blessed day. <laughs>